There appears to be no common ground on what constitutes the term restructuring, but I'd love to hear your perspective, what restructuring means to you. Nothing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a vague word. It's, it's, it doesn't have a meaning. When you say you are restructuring, what are you restructuring? What do you want? That's the problem. Restructuring is important because what exactly it is the basis of by which we should come together. The same constitution we are having now, I say, I repeat and emphasize, is a fraudulent constitution. Because power devolution with the people to the states from the center, without the democratization of such powers, will not promote development of the country. You see, because some people feel that um, all the all our problems will be over if we if Nigeria should break up. I, I, I think that is trying to solve the problem of Nigeria as if it's a simple equation, a problem. From Triple E Media, I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is the backstory. For at least the fourth time since 2005, the topic of restructuring has been trending amongst Nigeria's political elite. The calls for restructuring were high between 2005 and 2009. This was near the end of Obasanjo's rule and during Er Adwa's rule. Then the calls for restructuring died down for the six years during Jonathan's rule and then started again in 2017, halfway into Buhari's first presidential term. This time, the calls are coming again during Buhari's second presidential term and during our second recession in five years. But Nigeria has actually been restructuring since independence in 1960. So in this episode, we review the restructuring that we've done in the past, and we analyze the arguments for how we should restructure going forward. Our analysis is focused on five areas, government administration, territorial boundaries, the police, the courts, and allocation of federal funds. The first restructuring actually happened only three years after independence. We compared our 1960 constitution to the one in 1963, and there were two major and obvious changes. First, we moved away from the British structure and started to align with the American structure. That was the major administrative change. In our 1960 constitution, the Queen was still recognized as head of state with her constitutional rules carried out by the Governor General of Nigeria. Between 1960 and 1963, we found new friends in the Americans. Now, the Americans at that time were super, super generous. On December 12th of 1961, they offered us $225 million in aid money, but in exchange for us not to join Russia and the communist movement. The U.S. also supported us in demanding more African representation at the United Nations and they supported us in a resolution to the United Nations to call for an end to all colonial rule in Africa by 1970. And in exchange for that, we opposed any proposal that would compromise the integrity and effectiveness of the United Nations. And by the way, 
The US at the time was throwing money at just about any strategic country that even hinted at thinking about communism. Haiti, for example, and the Duvalier regime benefited nicely from the payments from the US government during that time, despite reports of atrocities being allegedly carried out by Duvalier government. But anyway, Nigeria benefited from the Russian scare, and perhaps to reflect our commitment to democracy, we started to align our constitution to the American one. Well, we aligned them in terms of using a similar vocabulary. Mm. In 1963, our constitution had us change from the Federation of Nigeria to the Federal Republic of Nigeria. The Republic effectively eliminated any monarchy and assigned rule to the people. We replaced the term Governor General with President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. We also saw references to Her Majesty, replaced with Council of Ministers and references to the Crown, which was usually used to refer to the monarchy, was replaced with state. And elections were no longer going to be conducted by the Queen. Okay, so we have a federal republic and a president. The Queen is gone. What is the president's role? The funny thing is, the office of the president under the 1963 constitution was basically just ceremonial. No different from the Queen, really. There were no specific duties assigned to him, so the president was mostly receiving dignitaries and opening parliament. Huh, so we copied and pasted the form, but not the function. Exactly. Also reflected a second major change or restructuring that happened in July of 1963, and that was the creation of another region. Before 1963, we had three regions, the Northern, Eastern, and Western. The 63 Constitution created a fourth region, which was the Midwestern, drawn from the Western region. And this was the only region to have emerged through a democratic process. The people of Benin and Delta provinces actually voted. And according to the New York Times, over 90% of the 1.5 million people in the region voted overwhelmingly to form a new region. So if you're keeping track, we have some administrative changes and changes to our territorial boundaries as a result of the restructuring that led to the 63 constitution. Hmm. Away from that now, let's look at the police. The 63 constitution said no other police force other than the Nigeria police force shall be established in Nigeria or any part of it. But at that time, it also allowed for regions to make provisions for the maintenance of native or local government police. Hmm. The constitution provided for an inspector general of police at the national level and a commissioner of police for each region who still had to report to the national level. Moving on to the courts now. The Supreme Court of Nigeria was established as the highest court under the 63 constitution. The constitution got rid of the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. This was a Judicial Advisory Committee. The regions were still allowed to continue to have their own courts, but if there was any question as to the interpretation of the constitution or the constitution of a region, the High Court of a region can refer the matter to the Supreme Court. So basically, the Supreme Court's judgment would be the final judgment. And finally, we looked at how finances were arranged. And this is the part that gets people excited or angry, depending on the time of day. Yes. 
Well, there was very little restructuring actually that happened between 1960 and 1963 in terms of how we managed and distributed finances. Mm. And we were not really relying on all revenue at this point. Remember that at this point in the early 1960s, most of our money was coming from taxes and duties that we generated from imports. And when these imports generated income, that income was distributed between the regions. The sharing formula was based on use. So whichever region used a larger share of the imports got more allocation. In terms of mining royalties and rents, the sharing formula was also straightforward. The region where the resource comes from takes 50% of the revenue from mining and rents and 30% will go to a distributable pool account. This would then get allocated to all the other regions. Overall, it seemed like a relatively painless restructure. Even the creation of a new region was non-violent and organized and 100% democratic. And honestly, it, it sounded like there wasn't really anything that took regional autonomy away. That's right. Overall, it was more about moving away from the crown and establishing our own identity and making positions of power more exclusive to citizens. Well, that peace doesn't last for long. Between 1964 and 1979, the country descended into political and tribal conflicts, which led to a civil war that lasted two years, six months, one week, and two days, between 1967 and 1970. Coming out of the war, the country remained under military rule for nine years, and we don't see a return to democratic rule until 1979. And that's when we see the next constitution. So the military governments are ruled by decrees, not constitutions. It wasn't until the Second Republic in 1979 that Nigeria got a brand new constitution. We did a side-by-side -side comparison of the 63 constitution to the 79 constitution. And it was a lot of restructuring happening that was all done by military decree. When the new democratic government was installed, it adopted some critical parts of these decrees that made it into the 79 constitution. For example, the decrees number 14 of 1967 and number 12 of 1976 created a total of 19 states and provided for military governors for each state. The 79 constitution recognized these 19 states and maintain the role of civilian governors. Alex, that's a major restructure of the territorial boundaries. Yes, and they did this within nine years, give or take. That was fast. Yes, the Nigerian military does not play. It probably would have taken decades with a lot more wars and a lot more people would have died to get that same outcome if it was left to traditional rulers and the civilian political class. With the restructuring of the regions into states, we also saw the creation of new administrative structure, both at the national and subnational level. Mm. Okay, so at the national level, the president was the head of government and they created a national assembly. Within the national assembly, there are two chambers, a Senate and a House of Representatives. That's a House of Reps. Senators and House of Reps were made up of elected members that were given the power to create laws that would be effective across the entire federation. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Senate, there are five senators from each state. Remember, there were 19 states at the time. 
and in the House of Reps, there were 450 members who were selected based on the population of each state. Mm. Now, this same administrative structure was replicated at the state level, where the governor is the head of the state. There's also a House of Assembly in each state that is responsible for creating laws as well. But there are certain areas that they can't touch. The Constitution since 1960 has two lists. The first is the Exclusive Legislative List, and the second is the Concurrent Legislative List. All the items of the Exclusive List is for the National Assembly. This means that the state has no business touching them. But the state can legislate on anything on the concurrent list. Okay, and the National Assembly can legislate on both lists. Yes, and whatever else they want. So in 79, we saw the administrative powers of states become limited through the exclusive and concurrent lists. And then I explain why. Items that used to be on the concurrent list moved to the exclusive list. Hmm. Basically, that meant that states had less control over certain items they used to have control over when they were in regions. Hmm. I'll come back to the concurrent and exclusive list in a minute when I talk about the restructuring of the finances. As Antoinette mentioned in 63, the constitution said we can only have one police force, that's the Nigeria police force. But it also gave rooms for regions to maintain any existing traditional forces. But in the 79 constitution, that language was removed. This meant states were not allowed to maintain their own police force. I mean, a governor of a state was allowed to give orders to a police commissioner in his state, but that police commissioner always reported back to the federal government. So states had a police force that was active, but the force was not under state control. Exactly. So uh, all police recruitment, training, compensation, promotions, all of that happened through the federal government. Mm. And remember, this was our first attempt to return to democracy after the Civil War. So the only thing that really mattered at the time was keeping the country together. Remember, unity and faith, peace and progress. And the police force was key to achieving that level of peace. So it didn't make sense at the time for each state to have their own police force. I mean, the risk of one state using the force to then start another bid to break away, was it was just too much. Mm, okay. What about the courts, Alex? During the military regime, they shut down virtually all the courts that could get in the way of their military decrees. Right. But the 79 Constitution brought them back. Remember, we already had the federal Supreme Court in 63, and each region had its court system. By 79, there were courts everywhere. Okay, so each state had a high court basically to deal with all criminal and civil cases. There were also courts of appeal. In the northern states, there was the Sharia courts to deal with civil cases that fell under Islamic law. There was also the customary courts to deal with civil cases not under Islamic law. Basically, civil issues like... Mm, marriages, divorces, land disputes. Mm. The restructure of the courts in 79 actually reduced the North's ability to carry out capital punishments. So as crime increased in the 80s and 90s, northern states were a bit restricted. 
And this may be one of the reasons why we eventually see a huge rise in fundamentalism and eventually Boko Haram in the 2000s. Okay, let's recap. The years between 63 and 79 saw us do some major restructuring. We went from only four regions to 19 states. We had a national assembly that had a senate and a house of representatives. We had governors and state house of assemblies. We had one police force and we had removed any ability to have local police that were controlled by the state, independent of the federal government. Hmm. But wait, there's more. Remember the allocation of public finances that Antonetta mentioned? Yeah, that's right. In 1963, they had these formulas for how they would share revenue from import taxes. Right, and 50% of revenue from exports of minerals would go to the region that gave the minerals. So in 79, the constitution actually removed all of that, just got rid of it. And you know that between 63 and 79, we found oil in the south. Mm -hmm. So during that time, the sharing formula was based on Different, different factors, population size, equality, uh, state of origin. For example, in 1970, the military decreed that 45% of rents on mineral royalties, it would go to the state of origin, then 50% would go to the distributable pool account, which would get passed around and shared with other states, and then 5% would go to the federal government. Mm. Well, the sharing formula just kept getting shifted and changed and there were so many different committees set up to analyze and make recommendations. Mm. In the end, they just got tired and they just announced the military decree. So in the 79 constitution, they gave up even trying to define the sharing formula in the constitution itself. The document just says that the allocation of public funds would be left up to the National Assembly to decide at the federal level. States could decide how they allocate their common fund through their House of Assembly. Hmm. Now, I actually think the most significant thing that affected the finances of each state was not in how we distributed the public funds. Now, remember I mentioned the two lists, the exclusive and the concurrent legislative lists earlier, right? Yeah, that's right. The exclusive list has all the items that only the federal government can touch, while states can touch the items on the concurrent list. Exactly. So since 1960, um, mines and minerals, that's including oil fields, oil mining, geological surveys, natural gas, they went under the exclusive list. In 1963, still under the exclusive list. 1979, exclusive. Right into 1999, mining solely belonged exclusively to the federal government. But when the federal government found oil in the 1960s, they spent the next um, four decades just exploiting the oil industry. So very little mining was done for other minerals, which was actually probably a good thing. So most of the crying you're hearing from people today to restructure, it's mostly to allow the states to start mining the minerals that they have independence of the federal government. So if the FG hasn't moved mining off the exclusive list since the beginning of time, that's 1960, why would they do it now? Exactly. You see my point. The other curious thing to note is that industrial development, agricultural and commercial development are all under the concurrent list. Hmm. Meaning that regions and states have the power to develop their own industries. That's right. And they've always had that power and autonomy. Since the 1960s, the only thing that the federal government said they would do is regulate the industries. 
Otherwise, there was nothing stopping other regions and states from developing industries on their own. Okay, thank you, Alex. Massive restructuring happened in between 1963 and 1979, and at every level. We have more territories. We went from four regions to 19 states. Cost of government got bigger. We put in place the National Assembly, governors, and House of Assemblies. The police, they actually became more centralized, and given the civil war that happened and the need to keep the country as one, that makes sense. Courts came back in a big way, and it seems like the restructuring actually empowered the local justice systems by decentralizing them. But maybe by having a lot of layers in the court system, it slowed down the ability for communities to handle criminal cases effectively. Now, the formula for sharing public funds, that kept changing, and maybe that created feelings of resentment and just feelings that things were not fair, especially for the states in the South. But two things remained constant since the beginning of time, which for us is 1960. Minerals and mining were always under the control of the federal government, and regions and states have always had the power and autonomy to develop industries, including agriculture and commercial industries. So, Rabia, what happened between 1979 and the next constitution? Well, the next constitution was the 1999 constitution. And in between 79 and 99, we had three military governments. So we had more restructuring by decrees. Yes. And by the time we got to the next civilian government in 99, the military has decreed the creation of 17 more states, which brings us to the 36 that we now have. But we're still a federal republic. Yes, that part did not change. We're still a federal republic. This is the fourth republic now. Right. The first republic was 1963, then 1979. Wait, if 1999 was the fourth republic, which one was the third one? The third republic was in 93, and it only lasted about three months. But that's a story for another day. Hmm. In 99, we still had a president, a national assembly, governors, and state house of assemblies. Both the 79 and the 99 constitutions recognized local governments, but the 99 constitution defines 768 local government areas, even though we now have 774. So the cost of government is getting bigger. Yes, but the National Assembly got smaller, more exclusive, and more competitive. Mm. We see that they reduced the number of senators from each state. It used to be five, but in 99, each state was limited to only three senators. The House of Representatives got reduced from 450 down to 360 members. Now, that's one of the biggest changes of administrative restructuring that we could find in 1999. The rest of the changes in administration appear to be just procedural changes. Mm, okay. Next is the police. Now, the police did not change during this restructure. And the constitution still calls for one police force, the Nigeria police force, and no other police force should exist in any part of the country. But starting in 2000, the northern part of the country created an organization called HISPA. Hmm. Now you remember that Alex mentioned the Sharia courts that were recognized in the 1979 constitution? Yeah, those were the Islamic courts, right? Yes. And Hizba was created as an entity to enforce Sharia law, which is Islamic law in the northern states. They monitor and abolish what the Islamic states consider 
immoral behavior like the consumption of alcohol, prostitution, and gambling, but they did not have the power to make any arrest or prosecute culprit. Hmm. They're only expected to hand over people found to have violated these Islamic laws to the police. Mm-hmm. So their role is more of a complementary one by patrolling and providing information to the police. And we've seen that whenever Hizba attempts to overstep their boundaries and behave like the police, their members are actually arrested. Hmm. So the police force has made accommodations for local groups to assist them in managing local security. But they make it very clear there is only one police force. As for the courts, we see an increase in the number of justices of the Supreme Court from 15 to 21. They also converted the Federal Court of Appeal into the Court of Appeal and created branches in some states. So no state has a Court of Appeal that it controls. It's all under the Federation. Wait, Rabia, help me understand this. Why do we have a Court of Appeal and a Supreme Court? They're both at the federal level. Yes, but think of the Court of Appeal as a middleman. They assess the case to determine if there is a need to take it up to the Supreme Court. The 99 Constitution also created a national industrial court which deals with financial cases. So, for example, EFCC cases, trade disputes, and labor practices all go through the industrial court. Mm. In terms of finances, again, not too much changed from 1979. The National Assembly still has to come up with the sharing formula for allocating public funds. And remember that in 1979, the Constitution did not give any guidance as to how they come up with this formula. But in 1999, the Constitution states that the sharing formula should consider population, equality of states, internal revenue generation, land mass, terrain, as well as population density. Hmm. Now, you still remember the exclusive and concurrent list? Yes, exclusive is under the federal government and concurrent has items that can be controlled by states. That's right. In 99, we see some critical items move from state control to federal control under the exclusive list. For example, arms, ammunitions and explosives are now exclusively under federal control. And this makes sense if you think about what was happening in the country in the 80s and 90s. Because after the Civil War, we had weapons that fell into the hands of civilians who then used them mostly for armed robberies. Armed robbery became a federal crime during this time. That's why SAS was created. So by moving arms, ammunition and explosives into the exclusive list, the federal government now had the power to control the flow of arms. Hmm. Thank you, Rabia. Okay. So by 1999, we have more states on paper and more internal boundaries. But the autonomy that we are meant to have as a federal republic is still not quite there yet. Administration of government is decentralized. We have governors and we even have local governments, at least on paper. The courts are decentralized, but police are under federal control. And the financial revenue specifically from minerals and mining, are under federal control. But let's remember, the Constitution, since the beginning of time, has always allowed states and regions to control the development of industries, including agriculture and commercial sectors. So, Richard, we analyzed five areas that have undergone some kind of restructuring since the 1960s. We looked at territorial boundaries, government administration, police, courts, and finances. 
And of these five areas, it appears like we've been decentralizing all except two, the police and finances. Talk us through what the current debate is on restructuring and how these two areas, police and finances, will be impacted. Well, first of all, when the political elites talk about restructuring, they seem to be coming at it from different angles. Chief John Uodo, who is a lawyer, an economist, and the former president general of Ohanes and Digo, the Igbo Social Cultural Organization, believes that we must restructure the constitution itself. We should restructure because the constitutional history of Nigeria shows that the only constitutions of the Federal Republic of Nigeria made by all the ethnic groups in Nigeria were the 1960 and 63 constitutions. From Wodo, restructuring would solve all of our problems. We can restructure to revamp our agricultural potentialities. We must restructure because our current electoral system is dysfunctional. We must restructure to reduce insecurity in our country. For him, the first thing we need to do to restructure is we need a constitutional conference of all the ethnic groups in Nigeria. Hmm, so he's saying we need to overhaul the constitution. Or at the very least, amend it based on, you know, popular votes. The other perspective on restructuring comes from former INEC chairman and political science professor Atahiru Jega, who says restructuring would mean moving towards true federalism. Remember, Nigeria is a federal republic, but we are not yet behaving like one. According to Jega, Nigeria is one of the worst models of political accommodation of diversity, as well as power and resource sharing. And he agrees with the calls for restructuring. Now, the former INEC chairman actually puts the problem of restructuring at the feet of the political elites. He essentially says that the faction of the elites that has been dominant in politics and governance needs to engage with the issue of restructuring more seriously and purposefully and begin to address it. For Jega, restructuring does not mean going back to the old structure of regions by getting rid of states. Because I have been asking people who want a return to the four regions, or even who want the creation of uh, six geopolitical zones, how do you accommodate the relative autonomy that many people in these existing states have enjoyed and are loving into surrendering these and coming into some regional groupings. He points out that the creation of state was actually good for us. Remember that the initial objective of creation of states is to assuage the fears of minorities. You know, and that's why you created states. And then once you created 12 states, you know, uh, other new minorities and new majorities emerged in those states and then demands for creation of other states, and that's how we now got to the 36 state structure. But Jega acknowledges that the current 36 state structure did bring out challenges of economic viability of the states. According to him, there are other better ways of addressing these and making them more viable. Others argue that retain the existing state structure of 36 states the only problem people speak about it is that some of the states look unviable and a lot of the challenges that these states experience is not because of the structure of the states but because of the reckless mode of governance by those who preside over these states. So retain the state structure, you know, improve good governance, 
but then devolve additional powers and resources from the concentrated power and the resources at the federal level to the states so that they can have more resources, they can have more responsibilities, you know, and they can become more viable and with improvement in governance and more credible people of integrity getting into politics and assuming positions at the state level, then you will have a better process and a better system. And to be honest, personally, I believe that that is what we need to do. And as our analysis has shown, Jega's first recommendation for how we structure is to empower states by moving certain items from the executive legislative list to the concurrent legislative list. And now many of the states blame the federal government for challenges in education, challenges in healthcare, and so on. By the time you give that responsibilities to the states, any state that cannot take care of its schools or its own clinics, you know, has nobody else to blame. Richard, wait. The way our constitution is structured now, the states are responsible for all industrial development, including agriculture and commercial activities. And this has been the case since 1960. The role of the government is just to act as regulator. So I'm confused. How would restructuring change something that already gives states the power to develop on their own? Listen, let's cut to the chase here. What the political elites that want restructuring are really after is access to the mines and mining. Now, you are right. As it stands today, there is nothing stopping states from developing industries. Look at Lagos, for example. Look at Aquaibon also. Aquaibon built the Ibom Air, a Nigerian airline that the state government owns. No one stopped them from doing that. No constitution has ever stopped any region or state from developing and controlling their own industries. So I think what the political elites are essentially looking at and going after with these calls for restructuring are the minerals and mines. And at this point in time, there is no way or even very little chance that the federal government will move the control of mines and minerals onto the concurrent list. Hmm, Richard, why not? Well, right now, only a few states in Nigeria can survive on their own. States like Lagos, Kanu, Kaduna, Rivers, Delta, and maybe Enugu. So really a handful of them. Now, say you allow each state to have full control over mines and minerals. How do you help ensure the viability of the states that do not have mines and minerals? Also remember, it will be very difficult to just say you can combine those non-viable states with the states that have mines and minerals. Some of the states have existed now for over 20 years, and they won't want to give up their independence as states. Hmm. Okay, Richard. Apart from control over finances, the political elite are also calling for restructuring to have better control over security. How is that going to work? That's one might be more realistic to implement in the short term. We've already seen the Southwest take a bold step towards that when they created the Operation Amotekun. And that operation is being monitored closely to see if it could be a model for regional and you know, state policing. I think the state policing makes sense. After all, crime is local in nature. I think what scares people the most about having state police is that governors may take advantage of them and, you know, use them for political reasons. And to be fair, it's a very healthy fear. Our politicians have a history of using police to shut down protests and 
any opinion that is against their government or administration. Richard, what about fears of secession if regions or states are allowed to have their own police? No, no, no. I don't, I don't think that's something to fear about. At least not at the state level, maybe at the regional level. But honestly, I don't think that's the real risk. The real risk is the governors turning the police against innocent people and political opponents. Okay, so if we do restructure the police from federal to state police, what happens to the existing Nigeria police force? Well, we've heard some recommendations that maybe they become like the FBI that is in the United States. So basically, they take on more difficult cases that the local police cannot handle. And any interstate cases would go to them also. So they essentially become more sophisticated and focused on investigations and crime detection rather than local patrols. Hmm, I think they might actually like that. I think so too. There would be a period of time for adjustment for them and they would have to recruit smarter people. But I think a new role similar to FBI would be better for them and for us as a nation also. Okay, so now Richard, what about the courts? Well, based on the arguments we have heard about restructuring, no one is really talking much about the courts. So I'm not sure that's an area of focus. Our courts could be more efficient at prosecutions, but that's not an issue of structure. It's an issue of procedures and resources. And actually, having state police may make the court's system move even more slowly. That's right, because there will be more arrests. Yes. So the courts will need to make adjustments if we implement state police. I'm not sure if it's a restructure or finding ways to make the current structure work more efficiently. So really, the two biggest areas of concern for the political elites with the current debate on restructure has to do with how they distribute the national cake and how they enforce laws and order. And specifically, they have their eyes on minerals and mining and also state policing. Now, according to the former president, good luck, Jonathan. My conviction is that Discussion on restructuring will not help, except we restructure our minds because some of the challenges or some of the challenging issues at the national level still exist at the state and local levels. For Jonathan, there is fundamental work that we still need to do before any restructuring will actually help us. Our position on restructuring is that every citizen, especially those between the ages of 18 to 35, should be given the opportunity to participate in the discussion and the decision-making. Because you, the political elite that are driving the discussion now, will be long gone after the decisions are made, and it's the 18 to 35 age group that must live with the consequences. So you should clearly define and prioritize the areas that should be restructured. Is it territorial boundaries? The courts? Police? Ownership of mines and minerals? Once the proposed areas for restructuring are defined, spend the next two years campaigning and sensitizing the public about each option. Then put the options on the 2023 ballot and let the people choose. Now, my dear political elite, if that option of letting the people choose scares you, then you've just proven the point that the former president, Goodluck Jonathan, was making, that the broader population may not be ready to see restructuring as a nationalistic exercise that is meant to strengthen the federation, 
not to weaken it. When Good Luck Jonathan said restructuring will not help except that we restructure our minds, I don't think he was saying we should not restructure. Now, I can't speak for the man, but my interpretation of what he said was that we need an underlying purpose for the restructuring. What is our intention? When the Civil War generation, the generations of Presidents Obasanjo and Buhari, created the 12-state structure, the intention of that was to keep the country together. When you read the 1979 Constitution and you compare it to 1963, it is so obvious that between 1963 and 1979, our leaders became obsessed with participation. Participation seems to be the key intention that drove the restructuring which happened in the decades after the Civil War. And as we got into 1999, the intention seems to be to minimize any major restructuring and instead to focus on establishing good governance. So now, it's been over 20 years since our 1999 Constitution, and you want to restructure again. First, you need to be clear on what you want to restructure, and then you need to be honest about your intentions for the restructure. The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021 by Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, give us feedback. Subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Visit our website at 234audio.com and download our 234 Audio app. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. This episode was produced by Antonieta Kalunta, Alexandra Gekpe, Rabia Hadeja, Richard Anyabe, Dominic Tabakaji, Sam Tabakaji, and Nico Rivers. Special thanks to Daily Trust, Stanley Bentu, Malaiwa Bado Ikaleku, and Aredi Isha. I'm Ramat Mohammed. See you next week.